Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Cheeseheads. Get on your feet. It's Curd and Law. Hosted by Sparky Fighter and Ryan Horvath. Welcome in to another edition of Curd and Long. Steve Sparky Fiber with you, 1250 AM The Fan. Uh, you can check out all the recent interviews and stuff I have up at 1250amthefan.com. Follow me on Twitter at Sparky Radio as we broadcast this thing live on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page uh, right now. Special guest co-host today, Ryan Horvath, uh, not able to make it. He's doing weekday uh, activity on the BetQL radio network today. So book of Eli underscore NFL on Twitter, Eli Berkovitz. Friend of the podcast, of course, Pack a Day podcast, Packer Report, all that fun stuff. Eli, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate being on. Obviously, a very exciting week for Packer fans. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. Thank you for having me. All right. So uh, let, let's get to a, a couple of different things here. I, uh, and I'm, I don't know if you watch it or not, but this whole uh, quarterback school thing uh, that JT O'Sullivan does, uh, now, you know, he's making you pay for the Patreon thing or whatever it is. I've never even heard of Patreon. I've never done anything with Patreon. It's like, what the hell is Patreon? Fine. So I go, I like $5. Fine. I'll do your $5. Fine. Uh, so I, I watch it. And what I realized is, cause I've been just watching the YouTube version. He picks like four or five passing plays in the free YouTube version on Twitter. And that's all you would get. Well, now with this Patreon thing, now it's every single offensive play and he goes over the running plays, passing plays, does everything. So, that is cool. Yeah. What you realize when you watch this is, and I'm glad I did not watch this earlier in the year, of just how many mistakes are still being made on this offensive line when it comes to running the football. I mean, one play running just completely whiffed and missed his guy, and Jones got killed in the backfield. Another play, uh, Walker's at left tackle, 
It's a run play. He drops into a pass pro set and JT is just laughing like, okay, well, that dude clearly did not know what the play was. I mean, there are still things where, you know, guys are running a double guy comes free because somebody missed who they were supposed to pick up. So as well as this run game has looked for the last three weeks, it can still be better, Eli. Uh, and in my mind, that's that's actually good news that they're really still, that offensive line still is not playing necessarily at a peak level. Uh, a lot of this is Aaron Jones, but they can still get better. Yeah, I think that that's probably just a product of, you know, young offensive line, first-year starter quarterback. They see the communication. While obviously it's, I think it's overall been pretty good, there's definitely places where it could be better. I think even looking at, on Sunday, the Jordan Love fumble, that was supposed to be a pass, probably a screen pass to the left side. None of the, All the receivers thought it was a run. They start blocking. Love has to scramble, results in a fumble. So, yeah, to think that as well as they've been playing and as well as Aaron Jones has been running the ball the last three weeks, that they could still be getting better, you know, it's, it's kind of exciting uh, to think what the potential could be. No doubt. Uh, Tom Silverstein had a piece today in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel uh, and the uh, Green Bay Press Gazette talking about the receivers, the rookie receivers on this year's roster, essentially, or the younger guys, uh, not named Dobbs or Watson or Toure, uh, and kind of what the Packers saw in each one of these guys as far as why they drafted them or why they picked him up. The Bo Melton one, I kind of chuckled at uh, because, you know, they pick him up off of the practice squad in Seattle last December, so over a year ago. Uh, and they were thinking, well, good special teams player, probably maybe we convert him to corner. And then he gets on scout team this year, working with Clifford of all people. Uh, and they start making a bunch of plays together on scout team against Joe Barry's defense. Who doesn't uh, either way. Uh, so that, that really impressed the coaching staff. So they said, all right, well, let's see what you could do with Jordan love uh, on an actual game day. And that's kind of how it, it all came about was him and Clifford making plays on scout team. I think it's a great example for just anybody, you know, running a scout team. They're like, man, I'm on the practice squad, man, I ain't never going to get called up. But those type of things do stick out to coaches and that gets Bo Melton an opportunity. And it's good to hear that Clifford's playing pretty well on the scout team. Yeah. I mean, to see what they've done, like you said, with these young receivers and we're not even, it's funny that Watson and Dobbs we're looking at as not young receivers who are just in their second year, but to see obviously what Reed's done, what Wicks has done, and they've been incredible. But then you have Bo Melton, like you just mentioned, who no one really expected. I don't think many people thought they would see him play a snap in the regular season. And for him to come out and not just play, but really make an impact. And I don't think it's even just like, you know, screen passes or wide open. Like he's making some really impressive catches and he's breaking some tackles after. So it's just exciting to think that this receiver group at number five and six, you have Malik Heath and Bo Melton who have both shown flashes that, you know, could put them in a lot of other teams, maybe they're three or four. Right. So you look at the wide receiving core. So Watson's back, obviously Dobbs is back. Reed is back. Wicks is back. So those four for sure. And then you get into DeBose, who hasn't played really at all. He just got, uh, uh, you know, activated or whatever this last week, Grant DeBose. So you have him possibly in that receiver room next year. You have Malik Keith still possibly. You have Bo Melton still possibly. And then you see a mock draft, uh, and then you see the backers getting mocked to a wide receiver, like a Keon Coleman or somebody from Florida State, who I love. But I, I, I would be absolutely floored if they took a wide receiver early in this draft. I would be absolutely stunned if that's the route they went. Because if I'm good, because I'm looking at this going, I'm good. Even yeah. with Watson hurt and out, 
we had enough guys to make plays like Wicks where it didn't kill us. Last year when he was out, it was over. They couldn't do anything on offense because they didn't have anybody else to kind of take his spot. Now they kind of do, it looks like. Uh, Your thoughts uh, on that wide receiver room kind of going into next year? Yeah, I I totally agree. I think, you know, like you said, we're going to see mock drafts, Packers wide receiver in the first round because people just love to do that, even though year after year after year, they don't take one. I think last year was finally the year where I was just like, I'm done. I'm not even going to think about it. And yet, Towards the end, I still started mocking Jackson Smith and Jigba because you just you feel like you have to, you want to know the story, but it would be like you said, I think it would be pretty shocking if they did that this year in the first round for sure, but even the second or third, like there are people saying they still need a true one and all that. I think Watson, when healthy, is a true one. Now, obviously, when healthy is the key part of that equation, but I don't think they need to be thinking right now that we gotta add another top guy. You want to maybe add some depth if you don't think you're going to bring back Heath and Melton or either of them, even though I think they probably will. But I think this should be the offseason of the least amount of wide receiver the Packers talk that we've seen in a long time. And Packer fans should be completely fine with it. Talking with Eli Berkovitz, follow him on Twitter, book of Eli underscore NFL. I, I want to talk about this, this last Packer game uh, a, a little bit before we jump into the Cowboys coming up this weekend, and we will jump into the Cowboys, but just kind of put a bow on the Bears here as we record on Wednesday afternoon. Okay, so in that game, uh, the play that I'm still amazed by, uh, and then when I saw the video from JT uh, last night, he like lost his mind. The play where Reed is coming down the left sideline, cuts across wide open. He hits him. He goes 50-some yards, right? Uh, LaFleur talking about how he wasn't even in the progression. That was a him and Jordan thing uh, that he thought he might have ran out of bounds. That's why they ran to the to the line of scrimmage uh, and did what they did. But that is a hell of a throw. I mean, when you watch the All-22 and you kind of see where he is, the angle that he's throwing it from, where Reed is when he lets the ball go, that is as JT put it, that's a special throw. Like there's not a lot of guys that could probably make that throw in the situation. He made it. And it's that type of stuff where you go, yeah, I'm not going to call him a hall of famer. I'm not going to do anything like that. But as a fan, you're like, man, chemistry wise, you can see they're starting to figure it out and how to play together. They're starting to see the same type of things and being able to help him out in, in different situations, getting there. Couldn't do that. It just gets you excited about, what he is going to possibly look like next year because maybe unfair, but I expect this offense to be a top three offense next year. I really do. Yeah. I don't think it's unfair at all. I mean, I think looking at what they've done just the last eight weeks or so, seven, eight weeks, you put that over a whole season. I mean, I think that puts Jordan love in MVP conversations. I think that puts, you know, a number of these wide receivers in pro bowl conversations the fact that no one made the Pro Bowl this year is kind of surprising to me uh, in certain ways. But, yeah, that throw to Reed, I mean, moving to his left, down the sideline, puts it right in stride. And we saw it all night. I mean, he's been playing this well for a while, but I feel like Sunday was probably Jordan Love's best game. I mean, to throw, uh, what, to complete 27 of 32, yeah, 27 of 32 is just that's that's crazy. I mean, most guys aren't completing 27 passes in a game, let alone only throwing five incompletions. Like maybe if you're throwing the ball 50 times, maybe you'll complete 27 passes. But the way we're seeing Jordan Love play right now, like you said, even though Packers Twitter, myself included, we love to throw around three straight Hall of Famers because it's fun. But 
in reality, like the way this season has gone, I think there's no doubt that Jordan Love, number one, gets paid massively this offseason and proves himself to be a franchise quarterback for years to come for the Packers. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. What about Matt LaFleur? What was your take on LaFleur going into the season, being his first year without Aaron Rodgers, and knowing that last year they missed the playoffs with Aaron Rodgers? Uh, and what is your opinion now of Matt LaFleur? I feel like a lot of people bailed on LaFleur during the season and wanted him gone and Goody gone and everybody gone when Love and this receiving core were going through that rough stretch where they couldn't move the football. Um, and now I feel like everybody's all back on board again uh, with the aforementioned people. Yeah, um, I've been pretty critical of Matt LaFleur throughout most of his tenure, not just this year. There are certain things that I just, I'm just i not a big fan of, but he has really shut me up and a lot of other people these last two months or so. Like like you said, that four or five-week stretch where they, they literally, like you said, they couldn't move the ball. They couldn't score a point in the first half. I think they had six first-half points over the span of like a month. And it wasn't just that the players weren't executing. It seemed like the game plans were just way, way off. It was like they had no idea who they were playing or who they had on their team. And then the last two months, it's like him and Love are just so in lockstep right now where every play call comes in, Love knows exactly what he's doing, where he's going with the ball. The guys are getting open. And he's also he's attacking defenses in the way that you want to see it. Teams with you know weaker run defenses are finally seeing Aaron Jones get used more. But at the same time, I do like the fact that he's been staying aggressive and not just being like, oh, we have, a, we have a small lead. Let's just run it and try to run out the clock. Like we even saw in that last drive, I think it was a first down, maybe a second and long, and they did a play action, little pass to Aaron Jones. I think it was a first and 10. And, you know, on the first play of a drive with six minutes left and you're thinking let's run out the clock to pass the ball, even if it's a short pass, but it shows that you're not just going to do exactly what the defense expects you to do. Run it on first, run it on second. And then you have third and seven or eight, and you hope to make a pass. Like, he's trusting Love, and Love is showing him that he deserves that trust. And right now, they're just – they're really working together so well. I, I said back in October when they were going through that funk uh, that he doesn't trust them. Like, he doesn't trust the receivers to run the right routes. He doesn't trust the quarterback to not force something or whatever the case may be. And he was calling it as vanilla as possible, trying to see what his team was going to be capable of in a first half, and then deciding what he thought – then he opened it up to whatever level he felt comfortable with in the second half of games. And as he said, and it wasn't until the Steeler game, and I remember coming on this podcast after the Steeler game and telling Ryan Horvath of MGM tonight, dude, I know they lost, but man, I'm telling you, it's finally starting to click. You can see it. Uh, and now, all these weeks later, he brings up that Pittsburgh game too. But the, the other thing 
kind of when when we talk about this Packers offense um, and, and Matt LaFleur uh, and trust and all that stuff is, do you trust Matt LaFleur to do the right thing and let Joe Barry go still as defensive coordinator? Because, hey, yo, that Minnesota game, backup quarterbacks, I get it, fine, put that aside. But they held they held Jefferson pretty much in check, even with those two quarterbacks. Now you come back against the Bears, whose offense was clicking pretty good, right? They'd won five of seven, right? They were go- they were going okay. I was worried that Fields was going to run for like 100 yards on them and maybe throw for 150 and do whatever. But going back to that Carolina game, that's when they started playing man a little bit. They started blitzing a little bit. You saw it in the Minnesota game. It worked. You're blitzing safeties. You're blitzing linebackers. Quay Walker finally is being used to go after a quarterback. Finally. So he made some changes. If that's LaFleur's influence, his influence, whatever. But now it's the Cowboys. Eli, they beat the Cowboys. We were averaging, what, 37 at home this year? They beat the Cowboys and Cowboys score 17 or something? I don't know, man. I I don't know how you look at Joe Barry and go, yeah, dog, I mean, you suck for most of the year, but sorry, we got to let you go because fans are pissed. I I just don't know how they fire Joe Barry if if they hold the Cowboys in check in Dallas and win that football game. I, I I think he saves his job if they win this game. It's it's scary to think that what you're saying is not like crazy. Like I really could. I mean, knowing this team, if they somehow go because yes, you can look at the numbers and the stats, and they're really they're not terrible. I mean, they're not good, but they're not like world-endingly bad. But we know how how that really is. I think those numbers are kind of deceiving. And if they do go and somehow beat the Cowboys and keep them, you know, to, like you said, 17 to 24 kind of points. It, w- it will be tough, but at the same time, I, I just don't know. I, th- I, th- I, for a while, thought they're going to keep him. They're going to keep him. Like there was that, what, eight-week stretch where no yep. one scored more than 20 points, 24 points or whatever. But I do feel like LaFleur, who is always so, it's on me, it's on me, and like always, he never wants to criticize anyone. I do feel like in press conferences, he has been more willing to kind of be like, didn't really love the defense or didn't love that play call. Like he's been more willing to criticize it. And I just don't know how you can look at this defense as a whole, this whole season and say, Joe Barry deserves to keep that job. I mean, really the three week stretch that was the nail in the coffin was the giants Panthers bucks. But Eli, (laughs) Eli, look at last year. He saved his job of those last three games of the year, whatever it was going into the off season. Dad saved his job. And I told Horvath, I go, they ain't firing him. This stretch right here. It's going to keep his job. Watch. And they brought him back. All the floor needs is a little something, a little nugget to tell Murphy and Goody. Hey, look, he figured it out. Like, we're good. Like, we're going to do this next year. We're good. And then what are they going to say? I mean, I, I don't know if you're Brian Gutekunst. If you look at LaFleur, if you beat the Cowboys and you get to the next round, and then if you face the Niners, it, it, it's probably over. But if you get to that next round and you stop the Dallas to, you know, 17 points less than what they average you, you know, usually score at home. I think LaFleur wins that conversation with Goody and Murphy at the end of the day to keep Joe Barry if they beat the Cowboys and they hold him in check. Yeah, I I really hope that is incorrect. Like I don't I don't I don't, you know, hope for people to lose their jobs this that, but I think it's it's beyond clear that this defense is is being held back by Joe Barry. Sure, the last couple of weeks I do like the blitzing more in the stat. But let's be real. It's been Justin Fields, Jaron Hall, and Nick Mullins. Now it'll be Dak. Exactly. Now it'll be Dak. And I will say that, you know, so how about this? I mean, if they if they lose this game, even if the defense plays somewhat decent, do you think 
that ends Barry's time almost automatically? Or or do you think if he has a decent the defense plays pretty well, but the offense doesn't step up, he could maybe stick around. So if the if the Packers lose 31 to 24, he's out. He's gone. Yeah. Yeah. If the Packers lose 17 13. <laughs> 20 yeah. points less than what the Cowboys average at home, and that's the best defensive performance against them all year in Dallas? I don't know. LaFleur might be able to argue he didn't lose that. We Our offense didn't score enough. Like We knew we were going to have to score more than 13 points. I, I, I really think if, if he holds the Dallas to, say, 17 or less, where you can argue it's 20 points better than anybody else has done against them all year, I think you can argue that, that, that maybe they keep him. And look, if we're going to be realistic here, who do we think is going to get that job if it's not if it's not him? To me, it's going to be Staley. Like yeah. he's going to give the job to Staley, and he's going to come in here and run the same crap that Joe Barry's been running. Now, maybe he runs it more effectively. Maybe the calls are different at different times or whatever. But I think Staley seems to be the obvious choice for Lafleur to go get to bring in here if he gets rid of Joe Barry, and it's going to be the same type of thing. I would hate that. Honestly, I really would. I just. I feel like maybe it's just bias because the Chargers are a historically unfortunate team in sports. Everything they do just seems yep. to blow up in their face. But I don't want Brandon Staley to be a part of my football team in any way. Like, I just don't – I can't trust him after seeing the way he coached that team. Agreed. So, if it's a team Barry or Staley, and let's just say they win this game and they have a good performance, I would probably lean Barry, which is crazy, which is absolutely crazy. <laughs> But that's that is not praise for Barry. The headline really of the social media posts is going to be Eli finally comes around and keep it Joe Barry. That's what it's going to be. No. That's going to be the headline. <laughs> no, it's that is much more of an indictment on, on Brandon Staley. But I think just with all the first round talents and all this young talent on defense, there's no excuse for this team to not just be a middle of the pack defense. Which is, I mean, I wouldn't even say they're that. I mean, I think they're worse than that. But they should be a top eight to ten bonafide stud kind of defense with this amount of talent and year after year after year, we just don't see it happen. So obviously I want them to win this Sunday, but if that means Joe Barry keeps his job, I don't know. Okay. So think about something. So CD lamb, right? Packers have done fairly okay against number one wide receivers. Yeah. I mean, Joe Barry's done a nice job of taking out number one wide receivers and making somebody else kind of have to beat them at the end of the day. So if they can minimize C.D. Lamb to 100, under 100 yards, that's 90 yards, that's 75, whatever. If they can minimize that and then essentially make somebody else be that guy to beat them with Dak Prescott, okay, I'm fine with that. I mean, we can talk about Ferguson, the former Badger. He ain't all that fast. Like, Quay Walker should be able to run with him. I, yeah. I, that doesn't concern me all that much. Um, so I'm okay with that. They haven't run the ball great with Pollard and company necessarily. So I don't really worry about that all that much. I just think if you are able to take out C.D. Lamb with two guys, three guys, whatever many guys you want to put on him, and dare him to throw the ball somewhere else and beat you, even if it's Cooks, like, okay, maybe he'll hit Cooks once and, and he'll get a play. But I don't know if I think Dak Prescott can consistently look to everywhere but C.D. Lamb without throwing a pick or two and possibly turning the ball over. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think I was saying it last night on, on the pack. We were joined by Eric Hubs from Barstool. But uh, Jair Alexander, I mean, this might be the biggest game of Jair's career. I mean, assuming he travels with C.D. Lamb all over. He should. Is, as he should, exactly. It is going to be up to him to to really help, kind of save this defense. Because if Lamb goes off, you're going to lose. It's that simple. 
If yep. he goes and drops 120 yards and has a touchdown or two, you're going to lose the game. If you can limit him and, like you said, force Cooks or Ferguson to beat you or try to get Tony Pollard to, it's been really ineffective this year, in my opinion, to try to beat you, they could have they could have a chance. So that's why, again, Jair or CeeDee Lamb, probably going to be the matchup of the game. The other part of this, when you talk about this game, can they get pressure like they did against the Bears rushing four? Because I think that's kind of what you want to do here. You want to be able to get pressure uh, up the middle to be able to get Prescott uh, a little bit uncomfortable without having to blitz every down in order to make him uncomfortable, right? So can Brooks get pressure? Can Kenny Clark get a, a sack uh, or something in those lines? Can Slayton push himself, push a center back into Prescott to create uh, some type of turnover or something? Uh, and Rashawn Gary has been, I mean, he, I understand they get, he gets doubled and all that other stuff, but he hasn't had a two or three sack day here in, in a little bit. I mean, yeah. if he can have a big day, Van Ness has had a sack here and there and they've got guys that can get home. The question is, can they get home consistently like they did against Chicago against Dallas? It will be tough. I mean, Dallas, they have a great offensive line. We know that they, I think they're like bottom five or bottom seven in the league and giving up sacks. So that would be tough, especially to do it without blitzing. But I totally agree that doing your best to keep seven back and only rush four would be your best case. You know, that way you could double C lamb, pass someone over the top, stuff like that. But at the same time, I, I do think, I mean, I think it's a good strategy to go into the game. But if you're not getting pressure, you need to be able to adjust and still yep. bringing it if you have to. Because we can't have, if we have Dak sitting there for four or five seconds, sorry about that, my cat is making a little bit of noise. Um, then, then you're going to run into some problems. If Dak Prescott can sit back there and scan the defense and you're bringing three or four guys, and we've seen specifically on like third and longs where we see the three-man rush and I just lose my mind because for me, it's like you need 15-plus yards on third down, you bring a blitz, and no matter what, he has to get the ball out fast. So either he's throwing it short of the first down and you rally and you make a tackle, or I'm that's sorry. all right. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Keep going. Um, or he's got to throw a deep with pressure in his face and hope to complete a low percentage kind of pass. So I get the idea of dropping eight on third and long. I get the concept of it, but I totally, I totally hate it. I just think that you're better off bringing pressure and trusting your guys to cover for one and a half seconds as opposed to dropping eight and then giving the quarterback three to five seconds on third and long to let his longer developing routes develop downfield. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, you know, the other part of this, too, is going to be the safety play in this football game. You know, they really need to make a play somewhere in this game, whether it's uh, it's a big hit that causes a fumble, whether it's an interception, something, because they haven't gotten necessarily a ton uh, out of the safety play. Uh, and, you know, being without Ford for all this time, you were without Savage for quite a while. Uh, you've had having to play Owens, who's he's OK. I mean, I, I don't think he kills you necessarily. He's OK. Uh, but th that's probably where they're going to go in the draft. Obviously, maybe they draft three three safeties or a corner that converts to safety. They're going to go that way, I would think, for sure in the draft. But for this game specifically, their safeties have to at least do their jobs and not make mistakes or have a communication breakdown and give up a big play. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the safety, I, I will say, I feel like it has been, like going into the season, it was extreme concern for what safety could look like. And I think it's definitely been better than that Ford. When healthy, he's had a decent season. Savage has had a bit of a bounce back year again when healthy. And Owens, like you said, provides something, you know, that's not a total liability in the secondary. So at some point, a turnover needs to be made. Like against a team like this, you, you have to do it. You have to either pick them off, force a fumble, 
And that's where, yeah, like you said, the safety is going to come into play a ton. But I think regardless of how this game goes or the rest of the playoffs go, safety, corner, the whole secondary as a whole kind of needs to be, if not the top priority, one of the top priorities. But I think probably the top priority. I mean, outside of Jair and maybe Carrington Valentine have shown some flashes, I don't know who in the secondary you can feel good about for future years. Agreed. Uh, the other part about this, too, we're talking about this Cowboys game with Eli Berkovitz, Pack a Day podcast, Pack a Report. Follow him on Twitter at Book of Eli underscore NFL. I think it's a big damn deal uh, for this team to get out to an early lead. You know, 10 nothing, 14 nothing, 17 3, something like that. Like, get to the point where on the sidelines, they're going, oh, hell no. No, no, no. This is not happening again. We're going to get killed if we lose to this team. Like, how is No. And let them go in the locker room questioning themselves and bickering back and forth about what's going on. That's what you want. What you cannot have happen because it's going to be over. If they do that to you, it's it's curtains. Because yeah. then they're just, Micah Parsons is coming. Everybody's coming. Uh, and then it's going to be hell on earth for this Packers offense trying to figure out what to do. Because what you need to do is you still need to be able to be in a position to where you still give Aaron Jones a bunch of carries and go. But if you get to the point you're tracing 14 or 17, and LaFleur goes, well, can't do that anymore. It's going to be hurry up and throw and forget the run game. You're going to put your offensive line in a horrible position to try and protect Jordan Love. Uh, so it can't go that way. They, they either for the Packers, either get out to the big lead. I think that's the best way to win the football game uh, and make them have to chase or keep it as close as possible to the fourth and hope uh, that your defense can get a stop when you need it late in the game. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, Dallas right now, I do feel like, I mean, all the pressure's on them. They're the yeah. two seed. They're the home team. They've been one of the best teams in the NFL this year. They go down, you know, it's the end of the first quarter and it's 10 nothing. We're going into half and it's 14 to six, 14 to three. They're going to start sweating. They're going to start really feeling that pressure. And for the Packers, it's just going to validate the way they feel like they've been playing. And it's going to give them all the confidence they need, as opposed to the other way where you go down and you let this Dallas defense unleash its pass rush and everything they do with Dan Quinn, and it's a really impressive defense, it will be a long day. So like you said, either, I mean, like if the Packers win the toss, kind of like we saw in Detroit, take the ball, go down, try to score. Do not give Dallas a chance to get the ball, take a lead, and start to really feel like, okay, we got this. We're the better team. We should win this game. you got to make them uncomfortable. And I think I think Matt LaFleur at this point has shown that he trusts Jordan Love enough that I do expect them to really, you know, sling it around. I do think they should still run the ball a ton because Aaron Jones is incredible. Yep. But I think they're going to give Love the chance to really win this game with some, you know, deep shots and all those kind of things. I got two more questions, and then that'll do it for Kurt and Long. Download in your Odyssey app. Every download your favorite podcast app. Check us out on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page as well. I want to get your prediction. That'll be the last question. Before I get your prediction, I have a, I think, a difficult question. At least for me, it's a difficult question. Who is the better coach, McCarthy or LaFleur? It's a good question. Um, damn. I would, I would honestly, I would probably have to lean towards Mike McCarthy just a tiny bit, at least right now. Like, again, I do feel like Matt LaFleur, there's, the last two months have been great, but I've had a lot of, questions about the way he's coached especially in big games playoff games especially big time decisions I feel like he sometimes gets tripped up or choked up and just like a little nervous for himself and McCarthy at the end of the day led a team to a Super Bowl won the Super Bowl that matters obviously his years in Green Bay there were some years where 
it felt like, what is this guy doing right now? And then there were some years where him and Rodgers were just perfect together. So I, I thought that I don't think LaFleur can get there, but I think I would need to see next year and a full season, you know, love this receiving group already more developed and see how he goes about it. Because like for me, like one of the bigger indictments I'll always have on LaFleur, and I understand Aaron Jones and his inability to stay healthy, but even when he is healthy, until basically these last three weeks, I just feel like, he is so underutilized consistently week after week, year after year. And for me, it's like Aaron Jones is clearly the best player on this team. I thought even when Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams were there, Aaron Jones was the underlying engine that moved that offense for so long. Like he's just, when he's going, the Packers, they win. It's that simple. Like they don't lose if Aaron Jones is playing full snaps, getting 15 plus touches, having a good game. They do not lose. So the fact that he consistently was A.J. Dillon, A.J. Dillon, A.J. Dillon, it's like it's just simple looking at your team and talent evaluation that I think with Floor sometimes I think he gets too cute, maybe he gets in his own head. But I hope next year we see that kind of change and him lean on his best players. And I do think, you know, with Floor is young, you know, he's still early in his coaching career. He can definitely surpass McCarthy, but it's very close. But I would have McCarthy at least as of now. I would take LaFleur. And I don't have to think about it very long. And the reason I take LaFleur is because of what you saw this year now that he got 12 the hell out of the way and can call his own offense. You can see how he can help a quarterback, how he helps wide receivers get them open by great play design and doing different stuff. McCarthy is stuck in his way, which is my premier player is going to beat your premier player one-on-one and win that route, and then my quarterback's going to get him the ball. And he's got that in C.D. Lamb. He had that in Devontae. He had that to a degree in Jordy Nelson and so forth. I don't think if Mike McCarthy had this team, they would be anywhere close to this. And I don't think this offense would have come out of it this way. I think it would have been a disaster. So for me, at least, the two both specialize in offense. So that's why I look at this and say, okay, I think, personally, LaFleur is a better designer of plays and a better play caller over McCarthy. Secondly, McCarthy, great leader of men. That's what we always talked about. Okay. But LaFleur, to be able to hold that locker room together through that four or five game stretch and not have them splinter and fall apart and give up on the season and be like, ah, oh, this offense sucks. Like, it's never going to get fixed. Like, it's right. And you could, I'll never, Jair out there, that one game said, hey, man, like, they can't score. So we have to score. If we're going to win, we're going to have to score. Until they figure out what they're doing, we're going to have to do it ourselves. And I was like, oh, man, they're like, they know the offense stinks, and now they feel the pressure to kind of do something. But they still rallied all together. And then, you know, Rashawn Gary gets emotional, like all the time this year, uh, about everything. And LaFleur runs out and hugs Jordan Love and Love talking about he'll never forget that moment. You can just feel the bond that he's got. And to be able to pull this team through what was supposed to be a rebuilding year and be in the playoffs – and all the trust that they've all put into this guy going forward. And he never, ever gave up on him. He never really went against them. He was pissed. What game was it where he was pissed off at halftime? It looked like he was going to start crying when he was talking to the sideline reporter. He was yeah. so pissed off because they weren't playing hard. Um, but outside Lions of that, game? which one was it? I don't know. Maybe it was, the, was it the Lions possibly? The first Lions game? Raiders or Lions? I don't know. Maybe, maybe Raiders. I feel yeah. like a prime time game for sure. So. Right. And that was where he was hot. Outside of that. For the most part, he kind of kept it under control and really didn't lose his crap uh, while they were going through this. So for me, for all those reasons, I think I would take LaFleur. If you're telling me you get one coach to coach your team, 
same personnel. I think I'm taking LaFleur. No, I, I, one thing for sure. I mean, it comes to play design. I'll give it, I mean, and scheming your guys open for sure. I'm taking LaFleur from McCarthy. But for me, I mean, I mentioned the Jones thing, but another part is I just feel like there have been times, especially again, in big games and playoff games specifically, whether it's the decision to kick the field goal against the box instead of going forward there, sure. or versus the Niners when you when you started Dennis Kelly over Yash at right tackle. And like there are just certain things where, you know, even during a game where you're seeing something going wrong. And even though he has been great at overall adjustments, but sometimes it's just one thing where it's like, you gotta get a player up. And I feel like sometimes he's a bit hesitant to Loyal. really do that. And again, like I totally agree. Play design, I'm with you on that. But I do think McCarthy was just a little more willing to, I mean, I guess, like you said, it's his way. And even if maybe it offends someone, he's going to do it. And sometimes you need, you need to be a bit of a jerk sometimes as a coach. And I think LaFleur is just a little too nice sometimes. Yes, he's very loyal. And the other thing is, we talk about LaFleur's postseason. Hey, wait, hey, like McCarthy won a bunch in the postseason now. I mean, yeah. McCarthy in Dallas has got one playoff win, I think. So they ain't doing it there. And in Green Bay, yes, he got to conference championship games. And then everybody got all pissed off about him and conference championship games and how that whole thing went. Oh, he went conservative against Seattle. Da, da, da. So he's also been under fire for the same thing, but he's got a Super Bowl, right? right? He's got a Super Bowl. But if Matt LaFleur wins a Super Bowl with Jordan Love and these young receivers, I'm telling you right now, fans are going to view him in a higher level than they view McCarthy winning it with Rodgers, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess, do you mean this year or in general? In the next two or three years. Yeah, yeah, I would say for sure. In the next couple of years, if yeah. he does it, then I would be with you for sure. Because then you can look at accolades, have them in the same spot. And then when it comes to, like you said, play design, getting guys open, I do like the floor more in that area. For me, I guess it's really, I want to see him not just win a playoff game, but win, the not not even a Super Bowl, but, but in a big moment, just coaching your team the right way and getting over the hump, whether it's even this week versus the Cowboys, or if it's another year playing the Niners or the Cowboys or the Eagles or something where it's a late game situation and a close game and they come out on top because we haven't really seen that, at least again in the playoffs with before. So that's just for me. It's just, I feel like in the biggest moments, he seems to sometimes crumble. Shrink. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I get it. All right. Prediction for the Packers and the Cowboys on Sunday, Eli Berkovitz. I got. I got to take the Packers, not just because we're here talking about the Packers, but I, I don't. I don't think it's at all out of the realm of possibility for them to go in and upset the Cowboys. Number one, they're the Cowboys. It's the playoffs. It's what they do. They choke, and it, whether it's this week or another week, it's going to happen. I think the Cowboys will eventually do that. And right now, they're. We always talk about teams getting hot before the playoffs, and this team is maybe the hottest team in football right now. So I'm going to go Packers 27, Cowboys 24. Uh, and it's going to be a close game. I think whoever has the ball last could easily end up winning this game, and it just scares me to think, what if this game comes down to Andres Carlson and his leg? That turning would be, the TV off. Yeah, that would be very scary. No, turning it because off. Because I, I just don't think you can put yourself in that situation. I think you've got to make sure that you do not need that to happen because if that's what's needed to happen, it could be a heartbreaking end of the season. Yeah, they could be down 24-23, go hit a 45-yard field goal to win it. I'm turning the TV off. I'm not watching it. I'm turning it off, and I'm waiting for my phone to either blow up positive or negative about whatever happened because everybody that. else started texting me either way that either they won or lost. The bad thing about this is if they win this game, nobody's going to talk about him on Monday. It's just yeah. going to be a Rip McCarthy and the Cowboys fest all day. Yeah. Nobody will. They'll say, oh, Jordan Love and the Packers, that's really good. But, boy, did they choke. Well, 
That's all it's going to be. But yeah, that's no, okay. That's fine. I'll deal with it. Uh, he is Eli Berkovitz. Follow him on Twitter at Book of Eli underscore NFL. Pack a day podcast, pack a report. You do another show too. I don't think I put it up on the screen. What's the other show that you do? Uh, the pack um, with myself, Janelle Mackey, and Zach Jacobson. So you can find that on Twitter at the pack underscore show. Perfect. There you go. Eli Berkowitz, Steve Sparky Fiverr. We'll be back on Friday. I'll give you my predictions then. We'll do Confident, Concerned, and Curious with Ryan Horvath of BetMGM tonight as well. And I've got all these fun numbers that I wanted to do on the last two podcasts. I haven't got to, so maybe we'll get to them on Friday. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again to Eli Berkowitz for joining us. Toodles.